Um, welcome. <laughs> I really don't know where I am right now. So Lord, in Jesus' name, just help me get centered and, and back to the middle of what it is that you want to say to us here right now. So in Jesus' holy name. That he has because this will build on that. But last week in a sermon that I think was one of the most important sermons that's ever been preached here, I, I said something, and that was that at 19 years old, something happened to me. And that was, I was just totally not thinking about God, going my own way, doing my own thing, and all of a sudden, God revealed himself to me as being alive and real, and not at all what I had thought he was, or not, and all of that, that he was real and that he was there, and at that moment in time, I got saved. He made me new, and I became a new person, and it literally, completely, and utterly changed the course of my life. I was going that direction, and all of a sudden, at a total perpendicular to it, I was going another direction. Now, seven years later, and there's more to the story, but seven years later, as a Christian, a strong Christian, my brother Dave calls up and says, there's something more. And doesn't talk to me about it, just gives me the scriptures to look at, the scriptures that we're looking at last week in this. And when he did that, I read it, and I went, there is something more to Christianity. And so I found myself on Easter morning at a church where they called for, at the end of the service, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I went down, and I was ushered off to a room, and there were seven people in the room. I think it was seven, but pretty sure it was. But anyway, there were people in a room, and a guy told us some scriptures talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the ones I'm using today. And then we prayed. And I told you last week that what happened was is that this electricity started in my fingers and started to move up my hands and then up my arms. And it just, just kept going and kept going and kept going until it took me over completely. Now, I could have named this sermon the rest of the story. Because the thing I didn't tell you last week and the thing we're going to be looking at this week and all the stories that we looked at last week almost is that there's more to the story than I even told you last week. In my own personal story, the rest of the story was is what I was doing when this was happening to me. I was praying in tongues for my first time ever. And without, trust me, in the natural mind, this was not something I was interested in or anything. In the natural mind, in my flesh, in my, I was literally, I'm sitting there with an Armani suit on, driving a very nice car, living in a very nice place, and I had my life together. And all of a sudden, here I am sitting in this room full of people babbling something. And it was a freak moment in my natural mind. But in my spirit, couldn't have been further from that. Because what had happened is I'd read the scriptures and I'd looked and I'd seen that this was in fact something God wanted to do. And whether I understood it or not did not matter. What mattered was is whether or not I would trust him. Whether or not I would give control over to him truly and fully, even in things I did not understand, but that were clearly biblical. And I want to tell you, that's why I think the Lord did that. Because I gave myself over to him and he came and he went, I want you to know that you made a good choice. You did the right thing. And so I'm going to let you know that this is real. And you have to remember something now. This is very important. 
This was back in a day and age where to become baptized in the Holy Spirit was actually very controversial. It is not anymore. Can you go down just a little bit on these, on the top lights or the ones in my eyes? But I just want to say that back in those days, back when I, this happened to me, if you were on many church staffs, you'd get fired. And I don't mean you'd get fired and let go. I mean you were to clean out your office and walk out the door. That it was, there were a lot of people that were saying it was of the devil. This was a very controversial thing at that point in time. Now, I didn't know any of that. All I knew was is that I was entering into something and I was just trusting God with everything that I had. And when I gave up total and utter control, he took control of my life. And as I said last week, just as, just as in salvation where I was going one way and then he sent me off in a totally different direction, the same thing happened when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit because I was headed down one road and in a moment's notice, literally in a minute, I was suddenly going an entirely different direction. And I have been going in that direction since that day, since that moment. We're going to be talking about that, tongues. Paul talks about tongues at one point in time, and he says something about it. He says, you know, there are ignoble parts. <laughs> Let's be clear what he's talking about. He's talking, he's using the metaphor of dress, and he says there's some things that are sort of like genitalia that you cover. It's not that you're embarrassed about it. Well, that probably wouldn't be the right way to put it. It's not that it's not an important part of your life. It's just a part that... that is like that. And then what he says is he says, but those are the parts that actually get double honor. I told you a second ago that I could have titled it the rest of the story, but I actually titled the sermon the most precious gift. And I want to tell you right up front why. Because I want you to understand what's going on and then we're going to see that it is going on. And so right now I'm just going to walk you right through what is going on with tongues or praying in the Spirit? And it starts like this. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The most powerful thing there is, is the Holy Spirit. There's no universe, no star, no, nothing even remotely compares with the Holy Spirit who made it. That means God has a problem. He wants us to live in the fullness of his power, but that tends to corrupt and hurt us. We are really funny people. Human beings are a funny lot. The first time that you pray for someone to be healed, you don't do anything but give God the glory because you know how much that wasn't you. The 10th time, you're still doing the same thing. By the time you get to 100 or even 1,000, you're starting to think that you're pretty good at this too. And when you do that, you start siphoning for yourself what is only God's. And you corrupt yourself and you literally become dangerous to other people. The lie that Satan said was, I'm like God, worship me. How many people have we known in the charismatic movement that have gotten it wrong ended up putting glory on themselves and not only hurting themselves, but hurting other people badly, right? So God's got a real problem. So he did something. 
God establishes a pattern, a safeguard, so that people through whom he moves in power will not be corrupted or hurt by it or hurt others with it. The absolute key to everything having to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we decrease so that he can fill us evermore. In fact, think of it like this. If you're like a jug of water and you want to be filled, but you're already filled with your own water, what can God put in there? There's no room left. But if what you will do is, if we empty ourselves of ourselves, then God can fill us with himself. You see it? Therefore, the key to unlocking the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all the gifts is us completely and utterly humbling ourselves, decreasing, pressing ourselves down, taking the natural mind and your experiences which want to take control and pushing them down so that they have no play. Which is to say you've got to give up control. I'm going to sidebar something right now. I'm going to tell you, I've prayed for, I don't know how many hundred people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, don't, I just don't know. I couldn't, poss- I, don't, I couldn't count it. Tons of people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that when it comes to tongues, particularly, there's always going to be two problems if there's a problem, if, if a person doesn't just enter in, it always boils down to two problems. Now, I'm sure there's something more, but there's two problems I've observed over and over and over again. And the first one is this. People think that God is going to take control of their tongue and wag it, that it will be a compelled thing that they cannot, in fact, control. And it's not only they think that that's going to happen, that's the way they want it to happen. Because then with a the natural mind, they can say, well, I didn't do that. Now, I want to tell you something. In the beginning, tongues is exactly that. Not necessarily the beginning for you, but I mean in the beginning when God was showing what tongues was all about. We're going to see it here in two seconds when we start looking at the scriptures. But here's what I want to tell you. The things of God always start with him having to show us what it looks like because it's something new and we don't know it. But it always moves from him having to touch us to us having the reasons to choose it And so we have to enter in by faith. We have to enter in. We have to say, this is something I want, so I choose it. And I believe that he will do it, and I trust him to keep me safe in it. Do not let me get off into some bad places and so on. So the first thing is, people misunderstand the nature of a thing that God is saying to you. I don't want to compel you. I I want to offer. Do you want to enter? That's the first thing. But there's another thing that happens, and I'm telling you, this is just, it happens way too much. People can't give up control. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of people here who have been damaged by things in your life that you have become extremely good at protecting yourself. It's actually a defense mechanism. I, cannot, I could not trust my environment as a child, so I learned to take control. You know how hard it is for a person like that to give up control to God, really? Oh, they love him and they trust him and they, they are so excited about what he does and everything else, but they always keep a little thing down in here that says, I can only go so far with this trust thing and this control thing because it's going to hurt me if I don't. 
I grieve. I don't judge. I grieve for the person for whom that's true or any variation thereof. But what I can tell you without any uncertainty, with total surety, what I can tell you is, is that in order to enter into tongues, particularly, you have to give up control. Now the truth is you have to do that when you're praying for somebody for healing, when you're praying for a miracle, when you're giving a word of wisdom, when you're giving a word of knowledge. If you don't give up control, you may give a word of knowledge, but you're just going to add your own stuff to it and corrupt it. And you're going to get in the way of all kinds of stuff that God wants to do because he may tell you at some point in time to make somebody go dip in some stupid little stream. But, you know, that doesn't make sense to you, so you don't let it happen and they don't get healed. You see it? We have to become his instrument and his instrument only. And the interesting thing about tongues of all the gifts, watch this real quick. The Seahawks are going to be playing in a couple of hours and right down the street is a really great burger joint. Down at the bottom of Northeast 8th right by Whole Foods there. I keep, what's the name of it? Pump House. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> I can go down to the pump house when the Seahawks are playing and I could go up and turn off the TVs, which would cause a lot of beers to be thrown at me. But I could stand up on the table and I could tell people, look, God wants to do something extraordinary through you. Extraordinary. He wants to give you a word, not for you, but for your friend who needs a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. He wants to give you a thing of faith such as to move a mountain that's in somebody else's life. He wants to do a miracle through you for someone else. He wants to do a healing through you. He wants to give a word, a prophetic word to someone else. People, people are going to say, you sure it's not about me? Because <laughs> if it's about me and it busts me, I don't want it. But if it's about somebody else, sure, I tell them what God says about their life. Even this one. Here's a weird one. Distinguishing of spirits. What's that mean? I don't know. Wouldn't it be nice to know what people were approaching you with? What spirit they were coming to you with? What was going on in a certain situation? What the spirit was that they were of? Because you're sort of going, I think there's something wrong here, but I can't quite figure out what it is. Wouldn't it be nice to have that knowledge and be able to speak it out? Every single one of these gifts, every single person down in that bar, not one of which knows the Lord. I hope there are some people there that do, but, but let's just say they don't. Every single person wants every single one of those gifts, right? Who doesn't have somebody who needs a healing, needs a miracle, needs a word? Every one of us have somebody that we're bleeding for to be able to do something for them, right? But then you say, who here would like to speak in a tongue? Does anybody in that bar raise their hand? Even after I explained to them they could be interpreted and really bless somebody? Give me the prophecy thing, but that tongue thing, don't do that to me. Do you see it? Who wants that? I come back to church and I say the very same thing and for the most part, I get the very same reaction. Who wants that? I'll tell you who wants it, God. Because it does something extraordinary in us when we're able to give up total control. When we're able to press ourselves down to empty so that he can fill us up to full. We must do so truly, fully, vulnerably, 
empty ourselves, give him control. And that's what tongues and praying in the Spirit is all about. It's this key that unlocks everything else. Tongues praying in the Spirit is us doing what is foolishness to the natural mind so as to empty, push down ourselves so that he can fill us evermore. Literally. My natural mind says, that's just babbling. And I'm saying, I know better. Be quiet. My natural mind says, I know what you need to tell that person that just told you this thing that has need. And I tell my natural mind, be quiet. It may in fact be true. And if you want to use my knowledge, God, if you want to use my experience, God, if you want to use anything that you've put in me in order to help this person, I'm game for that. But I can tell you what I'm not going to do to this poor person who's coming to me with something that they absolutely need. I am not going to tell them what I know. Because they do not need to know what I know. They need to know what God knows and what he wants to say about it. And so what I do is, is I push it down by praying in the Spirit as they're talking to me. I'm listening to them, but I'm praying in the Spirit the whole time, emptying myself, pushing myself down, pushing myself down, pushing myself down, saying, I do not know what they need, but you do. And I need you to tell me what you're praying in me to the Lord so that I can speak your word to them because that's what they need. You see it? Are you getting why tongues? Why they're so important? This is why tongues and praying in the Spirit is the most precious gift of all. It's the one that challenges us the most. So with that, who's our, oh, <laughs> sorry, it's every time, but this is so true. I wish you could just see John Y., an elder of ours, a man who, in my opinion, personifies everything we've been talking about. A man who's got his life together, could have been in control and done beautifully in his life, but who chose and chooses regularly to give up all the incredible smartness that he has in order that God should truly be in control of his life. John, you're the perfect person to pray for this sermon. So lift up the sermon and pray for another church, would you? So Lord, we just thank you for wanting and exposing us to every bit of who you are and what you want for us. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that you would take our hearts, how little we've opened them or however big we've opened them, and be able to open them more and help us to understand everything that you have for us. And so, Lord, I pray right now that, that the enemy that would try to to um, just tie us up, our natural mind, which would try to tie, tie us up. Lord, that you would silence those, that your spirit could talk to our spirits this morning. Lord, we trust you. We trust you, not ourselves, but we trust you. Amen. And so, Lord, I pray right now for Eastside Foursquare, Lord, that you would Amen. bless them this morning. Amen. That your spirit would move mightily in their midst. And we're going to give you all the glory for that and for everything that you do today in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things before I actually launch into, as John was praying, two things the Lord quickened to me. Number one, if you're somebody who has an issue with tongues in some way, you may have heard something or had some experience or anything else, 
I want you to just write it down, literally, or in your mind, but literally write down the question. If I do not address this question in the next comments that I'm about to make to the end of the sermon, then I'm begging you to call me. I'm begging you, get in touch with me. People who, I'm a very busy person and people think that they can't contact me. You know what I'm busy with? Answering things like this. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm here for. So I'm asking you to not be nervous about interrupting or, or you know, doing something that I don't have time for. This is what I have time for. And I'm asking you to please talk to me. If I don't get to your question, talk to me. The second thing that I want to say is, nothing that I'm saying here is anti-intellectual. I don't think I'm the dumbest person on the face of the earth. I don't know who is, but God bless them too. I'm certainly not the smartest. But what I can tell you is, is that the Lord uses my intellect all the time. The difference is my intellect doesn't use me. I let my intellect be used in the service of trying to find the Holy Spirit ever more deeply, including what I'm about to do with all the scriptures that we're about to look at right now. So I use it all the time. This is not anti-intellectual. It's just making sure that the Holy Spirit's in control. With those two things, we're going to do what we did last week. We're just going to look at the Old Testament. People think that tongues is somehow something in the New Testament. It is not. It is found all over the Old Testament too, just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Not the baptism, but the empowerment, the anointing, right? Baptism happens in the New Testament only because the difference is the people that are being anointed. Because they're new creatures, it becomes baptism. But it's the same thing that was happening before, just to different people. But having said that, here, here we go. Remember Moses? We looked at Moses last week. And Moses was, you know, people were complaining and there was too much, too much going on. How could I ever do all of this? And so what he says is, is, I can't do this. And God says, you're right, you can't. So raise up these 70 elders. I'm gonna take them, my spirit that's upon you and I'm gonna put it upon them, right? And that's like a flame. It's not that he took anything away from him. He just lit them up. He took the flame that was on Moses. People with that flame. So Moses gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. Now, that's what we looked at last week. But here's the rest of the story. Look at the very next thing that's said. As soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Now, first of all, why? This is something that only happens apparently one time with them. Why did they prophesy? Why did this happen? Why did God have this happen? For the same reason that he had something happen in my arms. Because something new was happening that they didn't understand at all. And he was trying to let them know, this is real, you can trust it, it's me. I'm not saying Satan can't counterfeit physical manifestations, he can. What I am saying is, is that God was reinforcing to me that the thing that was happening to me was him. And that's what's happening here. They're being anointed to be leaders and people needed to see that they were actually anointed to be leaders. They themselves needed to see it and so did everybody. You see it? So what happens is they prophesy. Well, what is this prophecy that they do? Is it, is it um, foretelling? Meaning, did they tell you that it was gonna be sunny five days from now? Is that what they said? Or that there was gonna be some army come or some other prophecy that we think of as foretelling? No. There's nothing in it that's like that. In fact, to the contrary. But is it forthtelling? When I preach, I try and preach prophetically. What I mean is, is I go to the Lord and I say, I've studied really hard all week long. 
But you'll see I don't use notes. And it's not because I've memorized the sermon. It's because once I stand up here, I give away. If you heard the sermon run through that I did an hour ago, you'd be shocked at what I just said in the intro because it wasn't the same thing at all. Why? What's happening there? When I stand up here, I'm trying to be his oracle. I'm trying to be the one that he's speaking through to say what he wants to say. I've filled the, the well with the information I feel like he wanted to. I was diligent in study and prayer and seeking. But at this point in time, now it's his. I don't say that I do that perfectly, but I do say that this is a prophetic moment, meaning I'm foretelling the things of God. Do you see it? So is that what they were doing? Proclaiming the wonderful things of God? I do think they were doing that. But the key in this instance was, were they doing that in a way that people could understand? No. Let me just tell you, and I'll show you this in several different ways, but let me just show you this. Watch this. This is, um, this is word, biblical, biblical prof, word Biblical Commentary, which is, I could have done this in several different commentaries, but this is a very, very, very solid commentary. Word Biblical. So, yeah, I know all the students that looked at Word go, yeah, that's a really good commentary, Right? Oops. The verse 25, prophecy. The text implies this, this is ecstatic prophecy. Another word of saying that is ecstatic utterance. Tongues. The kind in which men are seized and overpowered by divine spirit. Now, wait a minute. You said it. No, I said in the beginning he does that to show people stuff. But then they have to enter in. But anyway, they're seized and overpowered by divine spirit. The author seems anxious to stress this is a once-for-all experience associated with their installation in office. That's exactly right. Right? This is exactly what happened. But look at this. See 1 Samuel 10 and 19? I've told you that tongues is all over the Old Testament. Let me give you two examples that, are, that this guy noted. I could take, send you to others. But watch this. Um, uh, Samuel is going to anoint Saul to be king. So another person is being installed in the leadership, needs to be anointed, needs to be empowered, needs to be filled with the Spirit so that he can do the job he's entering into by God. He can do it by God and not by himself, right? So here's how it goes. When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you'll meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They'll be playing a harp, a tambourine, a fruit, and a lyre, and they'll be prophesying. At that, at that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I'll join you to sacrifice burnt offerings. You must wait seven days until I arrive. So Saul turned and started to leave, and God gave him a new heart. Now, now watch something here. This is Saul who becomes the prototypical Christian right here changed into a different person, and God gave him a new heart. What does that sound like? Sounds like salvation, doesn't it? Now, I want to be very careful theologically and let you know this is not the same salvation as you experienced post-Jesus' sacrifice. This does look to Jesus' sacrifice, but there is a difference. And I suppose it's not unimportant to note that Saul didn't do so well, even though. Having said that, though, God gives him a different heart, and then here's what happens. All Samuel's signs are fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. Now, you still may be saying, well, that's not 
He could, he could have just been saying, God is great, God is great, or you know, something like that. Well, look at another time that this happens to Saul, because at this point in time, Saul has been anointed king. He has proven not worthy of that, and so God has anointed David. But Saul is still king and is trying to kill David so that he doesn't lose the throne. Now watch what happens. When the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth and Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Saul leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men and they began to prophesy. What does that mean? It means that whatever happened to him, they couldn't arrest him. <laughs> Something happened. And we're going to see what really happened in a second with Saul. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops and they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time. Finally, Saul says, I'll take care of this. Finally, Saul went to Ram and arrived at the great well in Seku. Where are Samuel and David, he demanded. They're at Naoth and Ramah. A guy told him, but on the way to Naoth and Ramah, the spirit of the God came even upon Saul and he too began to prophesy all the way. Now listen to this. He tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and all night prophesying in the presence of Samuel. <laughs> He's come there to arrest David, kill him, and probably do something bad to Samuel. And he ends up lying at his feet, prophesying naked <laughs> in ecstatic utterance. So I think it's safe to say that this was an uncontrollable thing, <laughs> right? Somebody took control. Saul was trying to take control, and God did. Do we see it? Now, having said that, let's just skip over other instances in the Old Testament because we do have to end this sermon before the Seahawks start playing. When the day of Pentecost arrived, I want you to see how similar this is to what happened with the elders, with, David, with uh, Moses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we looked at last week, right? But here's the rest of the story. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, here's the way most people sitting here have heard this explained, if you didn't hear it from me. Oh, they were speaking in German and Italian and French and Greek or the languages of the day, Aramean, etc. right? They were speaking in languages that they didn't know. And so people heard what they were saying because they could understand the language they were speaking. That is not what happens here. That's not a proper explanation of the verses. Listen to it. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, what sound? The tongues. The multitude came together and they were bewildered. Also, I assume the mighty rushing wind. They were bewildered because each of them was what? Hearing them in their own language. I don't know, but it's possible that every single, if I spoke Crete, it's possible that I heard them all speaking Crete. You could ask a technical question. If, if there was 120 people or even just 12, however many were there, if they were all speaking a different language, how did you know which one to listen to? You can't kind of hear your own language through a, a bunch of noise, right? But the point is, is that's just not what was happening. What was happening was, is they were speaking in tongues. These people were hearing it. There's a very famous, you can literally Google this. You can Google it and hear the recording. I have and I've, I've listened to it. And what it is, is it's, uh, we're on a ship 
and there's sailors on a ship, and they're doing an interdenominational service. It wasn't just interdenominational Christian. There were also Jewish people there. And they were just doing a God thing. And while they were doing it, suddenly one of the people who was sitting there spoke out something. Right behind him was sitting a Jewish guy, and the Jewish guy said, wait, that's not fair. And they said, what? What happened? And he said, that guy just told me that Jesus is the Son of God. In perfect Hebrew. And everybody said, no, he didn't. We heard him. He was just gibberish. It, it was a, we didn't know what he was saying. He was just talking in a line. We didn't know what he was saying. Fortunately, it was recorded. They went back and listened to the recording, and even the Jewish guy said, yeah, it's just gibberish. But I heard in perfect Hebrew that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See it? That's what's happening. Tongues and interpretation. Being said one way, being heard as a second thing. Got it? Well, let's just go on a little bit because I want you to see how much this is in the New Testament. In fact, there are five, you can count maybe up to six times where people get saved in Acts en masse. In a, in a, there's, or there's a, there's a lot of words being used. And in every instance in there, you will see tongues. Every single time. It won't say tongues every time, but it's clearly implied. We don't have time for that today. Let me just show you, though, this one. Peter sees in a vision that he's supposed to eat meat that's unclean. And he says, I would never do that. Again and again, the Lord says that. Finally, he realizes something's going on. All of a sudden, Gentiles who are unclean knock at the door and say, come with us. Jesus has told him, go with whoever comes. So he goes, and he goes to a house. He's not even supposed to enter the house, but God's told him to. And so now he starts to talk, and he gives them this really beautiful sermon as the Holy Spirit would lead. Now watch this. Right at the moment where he talks about forgiveness of your sins, they get saved. Verse 43, this is part of his sermon, the end of it really. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, if you're sitting here, you're the Gentiles and I'm speaking, when you hear this for, receives forgiveness in Jesus' name, they receive it. They have been told somebody's going to come and tell them the truth and they receive this truth. Jesus forgave our sins. And the minute that they hear that Jesus forgives sins, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm just, I just want to stop for a second and just say, come Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm feeling something and I just want to speak to it. And I just want to say in Jesus' holy and precious name, would you just cause guards and barriers and thoughts and things to just, just not, not to be laid aside forever, but to be laid aside for a moment in trust of me and the word that you're trying to bring to them through me. Would you just touch hearts and soften them? This is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and we be glad in it. 
In this day, as it says in Hebrews, in this day when the truth comes, don't harden heart. But be open that you might hear and that you might receive. I'm asking in Jesus' holy and precious name not for us to lay aside our discernment. That's an important gift to you have given us. But I am asking you that we would be open and that walls wouldn't go up. Instead, that you would cause them to lovingly and gently, through trust, just drop. Let the words that I'm speaking might be words of life that are going in to good soil to plant a seed that would spring up a hundredfold. Thank you, Lord. Like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, even to some extent salvation, God always starts with having to touch people so they know what this new thing is. But then it moves to being something we have to choose. He always moves from touch to show to now that he's shown, believe. I believe something very strongly. I've told you twice now about something I don't talk about very much, which is that electricity at my arms. And you know why I don't talk about it? Because it makes people who are praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit think that they have to have something like that happen to them. And here's what I actually know in the Spirit because God has talked to me about it and it's been something that I've pursued profitably for years. And it goes just like this. He said, back when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that was still a fairly unusual thing to be happening. Not, not completely, but it was still early in the game. But he said, at this point in time, now over half the world's Christians believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They are charismatic. By the way, we believe in it, but we don't necessarily live and move in it. And that's what this sermon is, is about as much as anything else. I believe something with all my heart. None of us pray in tongues enough. If we did, we'd see a lot different fruit in our lives. But I just want to say that it's a choice. And I don't want to think that you have to have, at some point in time, when half the world, you've got to trust somebody. And what he wants us to do is go from you needing to be touched to you believing. Humbling your heart and just saying, I need this. This is something I believe in. It's biblical. I see it. And I want it in my life. So please, Lord. And then just trusting him. Moving in it by choice. You see it? So two tongues in praying in the Spirit. It goes from touch as a community to faith. Anybody that we prayed for last week, anybody that we'll pray for this week, faith. If God does something else, great. If he doesn't, doesn't matter at all. But the key is it's for all of us. Anyone who wants it only needs to believe, to trust, to enter in. I'm saying, I'm going to say something as cleanly and plainly as I can. There are a lot of people in here who have been prayed for and people gathered around you and they may have prayed in tongues and freaked you out and everything else and you never did pray in tongues and you felt like I just don't, God is just not giving it to me or I just don't get it or I, you know, God's not going to do that for me and I don't really need that. We'll look at that scripture in a second, blah, 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 right? And here's what I want to say. That's just bad theology. We're trying to do a reset and set theology right. Here's the truth. Anybody baptized in the Holy Spirit, tongues is part of the package and you have it. You just don't know how to enter into it. 
you don't realize the degree to which it's you doing something that he then inhabits. Isn't that what our walk is like? He tells you to move and then you start to move and then he inhabits your moving. That's how you witness to people, right? God quickens to you to do something and then you start to do it and then he inhabits you doing it. That's tongues. God has told you that this is something that's important. He wants you to enter into it and as you do, he'll inhabit it. With that in mind, just, to, just, just in case somebody thinks it's not for everybody, we're going to see this several times, but watch this one. Jesus, Mark's version of the Great Commission goes like this. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Is that, does that mean only some of us are supposed to do this? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they'll speak in new tongues. Period. We're all supposed to be disciples. We're all supposed to be doing this. But maybe that one, you could, you could weasel your way out of that one somehow. So let me just do something right here. Let me tell you, there's two ways in which praying in the Spirit or tongues are used. Publicly to a group of people assembled. By the way, little nomenclature here. Whenever Paul is talking about tongues in a public setting, he'll usually use the word tongues. Whenever Paul is talking about tongues or praying in the Spirit in a private setting, he'll usually speak to it as praying in the Spirit. They're still the same thing, but they're in different places. Yes. Same spirit, but doing two different things. One of them public, one of them private. And so the word changes a little bit for him to explain it a little bit more deeply. Having said that, you can't go totally on that, but it's pretty close. Now watch this. We're going to do public right now because we're going to clear up something right now. I need to, sorry, I need to just say one other thing. Here's the biggest thing that happens with people not speaking in tongues, the biggest thing that I think. They're expecting God to take their tongue and to wiggle it, not understanding that it's a thing of faith, and they also think that it's a language. And you'll hear people say something like this, oh, God gave me a couple of words. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. It's nowhere in the Bible whatsoever. Not even close. It's not a language. There's no syntax there's no, it's not like the language that the angels speak. It talks about the languages of heaven, but it's talking about the way that God knows things versus how we do. So it's not a language that has syntax and words, and that word, when I say, that means that. That's not what it is at all. What it is is the heart that is given over to allowing the Holy Spirit to move through us and pray however he would want. And as we do that, He's just filling it with meaning. Remember, the Holy Spirit's the one that goes into creation and hovers over the formless and void and gives it shape and meaning. When we are choosing to speak in tongues, we're choosing to speak in tongues. We are just speaking. And as we do that, whether in our minds or out loud, as we do that, the Holy Spirit comes and gives what we're, what we're availing ourselves. He gives it shape and meaning. Now watch this, because it's going to become important. So we're talking publicly now. Watch this. This is about what Corinthians is about. The first chapter in Corinthians says this. I'm writing to you, Corinthians, because you have all the gifts and you're moving in them magnificently, more than anybody else. And then he spends the whole rest of the book correcting how they're moving in it wrongly. <laughs> and in particular, as concerns tongues. So Watch. And God has appointed in the church. Are we talking private or are we talking public? Church. 
public. And first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healings, helping, administrations, different kinds of tongues. See it? Not all of us are apostles. Not all of us are evangelists. Not all of us are pastors. Not all of us are this or that or anything else. He's talking about church. In fact, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the second half. In the first half of chapter 12, he says this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit when we join, when we come together like this. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do you see it? This isn't about us. This is about us. This isn't about us personally. It's about us gathered. Note when I read this gifts, when I read this list of gifts to you, note that every single one, there's not one gift in here that can be used for you. It's not a word of wisdom to you, a word of knowledge to you. It's a miracle for someone else. It's a healing for someone else. We're gathered and he's doing something to bless. See it? For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of the knowledge according uh, knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. And so when we're doing worship, for example, people will get a word and they'll come forward and say it. There also ought to be happening, by the way, that person needs prayer. I have a word of knowledge for that person. I have a word of wisdom for that person. I have a prophecy for them. I have a distinguishing spirit, a discernment. Do you see it? That's what should be happening all the time. If we would let him. Watch, 1 Corinthians 14 now. Look, pursue love. We're talking about the church now. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Look, he does slide into a little bit of personal stuff, but really he's still just talking about the church. Now watch this. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Here's probably what's happening in Corinth that he's trying to correct. We're going to see it in great detail in just a second. Here's probably what's happening. People are using the gifts in a way that instead of it being for someone else, they're siphoning it to themselves to have an experience and they become prideful. Prideful to the point that most likely what they're doing is they're talking to one another in tongues as if they understand one another. And they don't. And Paul says, this is nonsense what you're thinking and doing. Stop doing it. And he'll tell us why in a second. But watch this. One who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit to God. On the other hand, the one who prophesies when we're in public speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself. That's not a bad thing to do, but that's just not what the public is about. The one who prophesies builds up the what? What's he talking about? What to do in church? The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in the tongue unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. Do you see it? This is all about the church. And this is where he gets to. This is, this, is the, this is the climax of the entire book of Corinthians right here. This is what he's trying to get to. You are using the gifts that God intended 
to be used to bring someone to salvation, bring them in and read their mail and get them saved, you are using those gifts wrongly and you're pushing them away. The gifts that he meant to save, you're using to push away. And here's where he says it. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speaking tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? And they are. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. Do you see it? Is it clear? This is what hypercharismatic is. The definition of hypercharismatic is this. You, this hypercharismatic means going beyond what God intended. And the Corinthians are doing it. So no, no mistake that people do it. We take and we siphon power for us. Power meant for someone else. We take and we use it on ourselves to have an experience or to be prideful or to do the kinds of things the Corinthians were doing. Is there a problem in the charismatic movement? Absolutely. You want to know a big one? Do you see what's being said right there? Tell me how it is that a charismatic congregation, I'm a, I'm a charismatic. I'm deeply a charismatic. But tell me how we can get together and everybody pray loudly in tongues. Because that's something that happens all the time in charismatic gatherings. Everybody gets together and everybody prays loudly in tongues. Isn't the Bible expressly forbidding that? Isn't the Bible expressly telling us not to do that? I don't want to go too far down this road because I can see a prayer gathering where everybody's praying in the Spirit and they're trying to let the Holy Spirit have His way in there. And so people are praying in a way that's doing that. But can I tell you something? If you don't understand that there's a part of us that is human and is able to be corrupted by the things that seem to be the Spirit, then you don't understand humankind at all. We get together in a place and we gin up a spirit and what's happening is mob psychology, not the Holy Spirit. And we end up calling it the Holy Spirit. It's not. It's us. It's us doing something. Go to the bar and watch the Seahawks. And when they score, you will stand up and cheer with everybody else. And the fact that you're in a bar with a whole bunch of other people, it will be a completely different experience than you being alone at home. There's a mob psychology that will capture you up in the thing. It's why always go to a live football game if you can. <laughs> You're there with 50 to 70,000 other people, pretty much all of them on the same page. And when your team does what your team wants, it is a phenomenally fun experience. Nothing wrong with it. But don't take things of mob psychology and call on the Spirit. Yes. Amen. Instead, be careful. Be discerning. But don't be so discerning that you end up quenching the spirit. Because we can throw the baby out with the bathwater and we do that all the time too. It seems like we can never just be on that narrow road to that narrow gate to that narrow place that is in God. It seems like we got to go in one ditch where we're overboard or the other ditch where we're dead. <laughs> what the heck? 
What's wrong with just doing it the way that the Bible has laid it out? The Holy Spirit is leading and we're being discerning about it. We're being careful about it, but we're also being full and giving up control and allowing the Holy Spirit to do everything that he wants to do through us. And the one thing about it is if we're doing that rightly, what we're going to know is that God will bring in people and they will see what is happening and the secrets of their hearts will be revealed and they will fall down and say, truly God is amongst you. This is the call I'm making on this church. We are resetting foundations. This is the foundation I'm trying to reset. There are people that have left this church because they didn't believe I was charismatic enough. I understand what they're saying. I'm telling you, I probably could, because of my concern about certain things, I probably could be rightly accused of having had the reins a little too tight. I really do believe that. But I want to say something else. We've also been a very safe place for people that have been into hypercharismatic and been damaged and have closed themselves off to everything of the, care of the Holy Spirit. And they come here and they say they know they've got a pastor who understands what it is to be in that ditch and is not going there anymore. I'm trying to get to that high road in God right. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The Corinthians have been corrupted by what the Holy Spirit had been doing through them. It ruined them as a church. They weren't able to bring people to the Lord anymore. And now watch. This is that verse. I don't have to speak in tongues and here's why. But wait a minute. What are we talking about in all these verses that we're talking about right here? We're talking about privately or are we talking about the church? God has appointed in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helping, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles in the church? Are we all? Of course not. Are we all prophets? No. Are we all teachers? No. Do we all work miracles? No. Do we all possess gifts of healings? No. Do we all speak with tongues? No. He's not saying you don't have to speak in tongues privately. He's saying in church, not everybody does. In fact, he's literally just said that when everybody does, it's not actually right. <laughs> right? Here's what Paul says. I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, I think he's actually referring to the church, not just private. But he is saying something. I want you all to be doing this. And watch this. I thank God that I talk in tongues more than all of you. Is he saying that he talks more in tongues at church and does this? No, I think he's slipped over into something. Yes and no. I think he's also slipped over into a private moment. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We're to the private now. Now watch this. Tell me that this isn't for every Christian. Because if you can, then you can justify your stance of saying, I can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I don't have the gift of tongues. But if this is for everybody, you can't do that. It's no longer an option when I get done with this verse right here. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Oh no, that's just for some people. I don't know about you, but I need the full armor of God. <laughs> I need to be equipped in a way that I will not be subject to the attacks of the devil which is to say that every single Christian is supposed to do this. 
take on the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the devil in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Is this just for a few? In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Is that for just a few? (laughs) Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. If you believe that's for every Christian, then you have to also believe the rest of the story. The next thing that he says, which is the culmination of everything he's just said. This is the end of the list, the capstone of the list. Pray at all times in the Holy Spirit with every prayer and request. Pray without ceasing in the Spirit. Is that for everybody? No, I I take on the, I I put on this belt, but I don't put on the righteousness. And that helmet of salvation, but I don't pick up the shield of faith. You can't do it. You can't get away from it. What he's telling everybody to do is to pray in the Spirit without ceasing. I'm going to tell you something, but let me just give you this. Watch this. You want to know what this is about on a private level? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what God wants us to pray for. We don't, do you? When you do, what do you do? Pray according to how God's led you to pray, right? But what happens when you have a sense of something or you don't even know it and you start feeling something and so you enter into praying in the Spirit? The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Wait a minute, Kurt, that's groanings, not tongues. Groanings and tongues are kissing cousins. They're on the same continuum. What they are is letting the Holy Spirit quicken you to pray according to how the Holy Spirit knows the Father wants you to pray. Prays through you according to his will. Right there. The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. This is something that's very important to me. I really believe something. None of us are praying in the Spirit enough. What am I to do, says Paul? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with my mind also. In fact, Remember this, the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. The natural mind does not receive the things of God. Even in my saved state, made new, my natural mind is still at odds with the things of God. I can put my mind on the things of the flesh, which is death, or I can put my mind on the things of the spirit, which is life. And here's what I want to tell you. I go for a walk every single morning. You want to know what I, the whole first part of my walk every single time is? I start with reading the soap, because I can read that on my walk, and that gets me in God's presence instead of whatever show I watched or whatever problem I've got. That gets me into his word and into his presence. And then I just start praying in the Spirit. Why? Because I don't know what to pray as I ought. (laughs) I don't know what he wants me to pray for. 
And so what I do is I'm walking along and I'm just praying in the spirit. I'm just praying and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of whispering it out loud, but I'm also in my head, but also out loud. And I'm just praying in the spirit and I pray in the spirit and I pray in the spirit and I pray in the spirit. And the whole time I'm praying in the spirit, I'm asking the Lord, what is it that you want me to pray for? Tell me what you're praying through me. I'm your vessel and I want to agree with you. I believe, Lord that you want me as your free will instrument in this world to speak the things of God into this world. I believe that that's something that's important. I need to speak life into this world. And so I'm asking you, as you you pray through me, quicken to me what it is that you're praying, that I might agree with you, that I might pray with my spirit and then with my mind. Just like Paul says. I pray in the spirit until I start to understand and then I switch over into English or whatever language you want. And you start speaking into the world the thing that God has revealed to you. This is what private is about. There's a situation with somebody you don't know what's going on with them. You start praying in the spirit. Somebody walks into my office, as I said earlier. I don't know what they need. So I start praying in the spirit and what I'm asking the Lord to do is push me down so that you can fill me up. And when he does, then he says something, and I'm telling you every single time, instead of getting prideful about how smart I am, I know what I had to do to get there. And it makes it incredibly clear to me that it was him that spoke, not me. So I don't take any of the credit for it. Instead, I'm going, God, that was the coolest thing ever. Would you please do that again? Put me in situations where you can use me like that again because that really helps somebody and that just does everything in me. We must truly, fully, and vulnerably give up control. We need to trust him. That doesn't mean you have to give up your discernment. It just means that you know where, those, where you're holding on, where you're the one blocking. We must decrease so that he can increase. So in that spirit, with this moment, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I pray. Would you come and would you meet us right now? Don't don't come up just yet, musicians. Thanks. Don't come up. I'm going to ask you to do something just like we did last week. I'm going to ask you to pray with me this prayer. Dear God, can we try that again? Dear God, Thank you for baptizing me with your Holy Spirit. I receive it by faith. I know I have what I asked for because I asked according to your will. And so I ask you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit, knowing like you said in Luke 11, that you will give the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. And so thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, your word has told me that praying in the Spirit is something that we are all supposed to be doing all the time. And so even though I don't quite understand, right now, I bend my knee 
I push myself down. I do not let my natural mind. I don't know what I meant to say there. I do not let my natural mind rule me. Rather, I push it down to enter into this precious, beautiful, amazing gift that you have given me to humble me so that you can fill me all the more. And so with that in my heart, I just begin to move my lips and tongue to allow you, Holy Spirit, to pray through me. Now, I'm asking you to do something. I don't want you to, do, to bother your neighbor, but I don't want you to just do this in your head either. So just in a soft voice, more than a whisper, but in a soft voice, I want you to just pray now. Just allow the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for baptizing us. And I just ask you, as we choose to enter into what you have for us, this precious, beautiful thing that you have, in Jesus' name, I want you to just start praying. Just start praying. There's a, you're going to be just a dull, whispered-ish kind of a thing. And if you are somebody who does this, pray for yourself that you would enter into this more and more in your life and pray for others as the Spirit would lead. If this is your first time, just trust Him. Give yourself to Him. Come, Holy Spirit. Move now, Holy Spirit. As you do, as you are, as you are doing right now, touch people. Let them pray in the Spirit. Let them see this beautiful thing. Thank you, Lord. Just keep going. Just keep going. Now, as you're starting to pray, and I can just feel the number of people that are doing this, even for the first time, as you are doing this, asking the Lord, as you do this, ask the Lord, what am I, am I to pray with my mind too? And what am I to pray? And then watch how he'll give you something and then you just move right into praying in, 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 with your mind and then move it back over to praying in the spirit. And as he gives you something more, then pray that. And as he gives you something more, go back, see it? Just move in this. Keep doing this. Musicians, go ahead and come up. Thanks. You don't need anything more. I, I feel like a lot of people have just prayed in the Spirit for the first time ever. What I want to say, though, is, is if there is a problem, be sure and come up when we, when we go into worship here and, and get prayed for. But I also just want to say, you don't have to come forward you can, but you don't have to. Just begin to just begin to do something. Just begin to move your mouth and your lips and just begin to pray and let the Holy Spirit start to inhabit what you're doing. You move, you choose to move, you choose to trust. And he'll inhabit what you're doing. You'll feel it, you'll know it. Just keep going. 
Keep going, congregation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I believe the Lord has um, He showed me a picture. And it's it's this giant treasure box full of all these wonderful gifts for you. But you won't have them if you just stand by them. You have to reach in and, and grab one. He has them for you. As you ask him for it, he'll give it to you. Thank but he you. has an abundance of gifts for you. And this is just one of them. But he wants you to take that Thank step you, of reaching out and Amen. taking it. Amen. Instead of just expecting it to land on you. you he wants you to reach in, take you, it so as your own. So, so there is much for you ahead. He wants to bless you. He has them sitting there for you. Each person has treasures in this box. They're all gifts from his precious Holy Spirit. And they're there for you and you alone. But you have to take the step you, of reaching out for it. Thank you, Jesus. God, that's a good word. Thank you for it. So we do that. Literally, just picture yourself doing that, reaching in to grab a hold of these precious things that God has given, that he wants to pour out, that he wants to give. Understand that as we enter into praying in the Spirit, that it bends our knee, that it humbles us, that he might fill. So fill us, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Praise your name. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Reach down in front of you, and there are two cups. Grab them both. This is a church that is fully and magnificently filled by the Holy Spirit, too overflowing. This is also a church who does things in a very balanced way. If we're getting it wrong, we call each other on it, and we work through it, and we get it right. And ever right as the Lord would lead us. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup up and what we say is, is God, there is this precious gift that, that we're, you want us unceasingly. You want this unceasingly. We begin to get a picture right now, God, of what it would be like to be led by you at every moment as we would enter in. And so in Jesus' magnificent name, God, we come before your throne and we say, I recognize that I've broken my life by not entering into this precious gift that you've given me. But now, Lord, I make that right. And I look through this cup to the cross where Jesus heals me, utterly and fully, beautifully, magnificently. Heal us, Jesus, even now, Lord God, even now, touch Touch. Touch. Thank you, Jesus. Even now, God, have people believe, 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 and enter in. Take this cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord God, <laughs> thank you. Praise you. 
we take this cup in which is the life, the fullness of the life that you have for us, the full treasure box life. And in Jesus' name, we take this together saying, I choose that. I make a, I make a movement towards you by starting to pray. And I thank you for inhabiting and overflowing my life with the fullness. Take this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.